So, Dave, how was your Christmas? Um, didn't have it yet. Oh, right, because we're recording this in the future from the past. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Same as it always was. Same as it always was. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, what's, what's going on? What's new? Well, so I was in uh, Reagan National mm-hmm. again, um, and I had a, I was coming back from Boston, and I had a three-hour layover, and I had this letter from U.S. Airways saying that, oh, hey, why don't you, um, you know, try have a complimentary uh uh, Adam Rolls Club visit on us, and I, and so I walk up to the thing, figuring I got a couple hours to kill, so I'll just go in there and sit and uh, hand it to the lady, and she like it's like she never saw anything like it before, and she's like, oh, well, let me look at your U.S. Airways account, and and she's like, oh, you actually have three free passes on there, and I'm like, what? And and so I I didn't did you know that that you actually get like so many for doing certain things. I I did not actually. That's news to me. Yeah, yeah, and and so, and and she's like, oh, it's probably whenever you change level from you know silver to gold or whatever you know, and or certain milestones, and you get like one every year and everything. And I'm like, okay, well, can I see these in my uh, account on the web? And she's like, yeah, probably not. And <laughs> and then I'm like, well, how do how do I know? How do I adjust my behavior to achieve more of these or how, how does that all work? And she's like, I don't know. And mana from heaven. That, that, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. So, but, uh, it winds up that it's like they have expiration dates on them too. So, um, the one that I used up was going to expire in February of next year. So, and then I have, I have like two more left over. So I was a surprise that, that, uh, that even existed, so it may be worthwhile to uh, swing by the you know the the sign in desk there and have them look you up, and you you may have a stash in there waiting for you. So what's uh what's it like in there? Are there like uh, free drinks and uh, massage tables and stuff? No, no, it's nothing I would pay for to be honest. No. Um, it's uh so it's basically it's like a bunch of uh, comfy chairs that you could sit in. And and then I guess there's an open bar, um, but I, I tend to not drink and go on flights because it's just you know just getting all depressurized and everything. I, I don't need it. And uh, um, they have uh, like coffee and uh, snacks, and the snacks are just pretty much like uh, uh, party mix sort of thing. So mm-hmm. it's nothing super substantial. I think it's like little pieces of cheese and individually wrapped. Yeah, peanuts. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. No, not even peanuts. Um, so it's <laughs> it's almost like all of the things that you would get on an airplane, um, which isn't much, but like in a separate room and, and away from everybody else. And it's it's a little bit quieter. But the funny thing is that I'm in there and uh, I, I hear, you know, it, it, I don't know. It, it's like if I'm in the main area, it's like equally noisy all over the place. Mm-hmm. But... In there, it's like some uh, there's these two ladies that were talking, and it was it was more disruptive than being like in the main thing where everybody was talking. You know, it's sort of like being in a library with some with one person or two people talking. Sure, sure, right. Yeah. It's, if it's a if it's a ambient drone, you can kind of you can fo- you can defocus and and yeah. kind of filter it all out. But if it's yeah 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 one person whispering uh, or having a loud conversation, then it's gonna be no, it's a loud conversation. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, yeah, and they have a uh, little like cubicles that you could sit in and stuff. And, and I guess, you know, 
you know, it's, I guess it's maybe a safer place for, you know, a lot of guys would get up and just walk away from their laptops and go get a drink or go to the bathroom or whatever and come back and leave their screen unlocked where, um, they probably wouldn't do that on the main concourse. Oh, see, okay. Now, so now the U.S. Airways Club sounds pretty lucrative. Well, that's assuming that that's a more trustworthy place. Right. Oh, no, I'm saying for you, lucrative. I'm saying for you, right. it seems like. Yeah, the profit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. kind of nice. Yeah, that would pay for the membership. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. How's your sense of entitlement? Uh, did you feel like a captain of industry? Yeah, yeah, totally. I had my uh, Bluetooth headset, and I found another man in a suit, and we shook hands. <laughs> He signed a contract and high-fived each other. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's great. With a briefcase. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That's right. I never thought about that. Yeah, like an actual briefcase. <laughs> yeah. Like, which, yeah. Which yeah. nobody owns. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If they wanted, like, if they wanted a real business traveler, they'd have, like, you know, a dude in sweatpants. And, uh... <laughs> yeah. Pajama dude models. Sweat. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. He'd have a he'd have a blazer and uh, pajama bottoms. <laughs> yeah. That's right, and some uh, and some backpack. The guy got at a conference. Yeah, that's what they do. <laughs> right. Yeah, that too. Yeah, but but speaking of travel, um, Fodor's uh, go to, uh, go list is out for 2015 already. Oh, is it is a is it that time of year already? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So for, uh, I think it was like 25 locations that they recommend, um, that, that it's like you have to go to in 2015. So well, let me, let me throw a couple out at you and, and let me know if there's anything that sticks out at you. I'll, I'll just throw a couple cities out and locations. Mm-hmm. Okay. Exotic. Right. So we got the Arctic, we got, uh, Nambia, mm-hmm. we got Guatemala, mm. Romania, Oman, Barbados, mm-hmm. Cleveland, and Paris. I have a question. Yeah? Yeah. Cleveland, uh, they lift a, exotic, they say. Cleveland? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, exotic it's, uh, Cleveland. They, they, they declare it Rust Belt chic. Mm. Man, mm-hmm. the, the Cleveland Visitors Bureau is really working overtime on this one. Yeah, I know. I'm, they're probably popping uh, champagne. You know, this, like, <laughs> this is great. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Honey, cancel the plans for Nambia. I just read this thing about Cleveland. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. They say here, oh, insider tip. There are 10 farms in the Cuyahoga Valley National Park that uh, that you could visit. And it's like, and, and oh, uh, when to go? Well, Cleveland's weather can be unpredictable. But in general, winters are frigid and summers are sunny. <laughs> so yeah uh-huh. seriously how much money changed hands for that listing <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. i'm just imagining the poor copywriter who's like got the assignment like some guy's got Oman, another guy's got you know barbados <laughs> and then this guy like drew the short straw and he's like yeah he's like, cleveland huh all right let me see if i can how do I do this? How do I pull this off? Yeah, it's cold in the winter. It's hot in the summer. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's right. Industry? Yeah. yeah, not so much industry anymore. Uh, let's see. What do we yeah, got? Less pollution. Yeah. yeah, that's right. There's, a, there's an off chance you might meet LeBron James. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. oh, that's great. I kid. Uh, but actually, I really enjoy the times that I've been in Cleveland. 
Mm-hmm. No, I, I do it too. It's it's a as as a Steelers fan, I always have to poke Cleveland every once in a while. Um, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. easy target. That's what you do. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah. I like Cleveland. So how are you doing? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. As we record this, in fact, moments before we recorded this, um, uh, there's a blog post just came up on, uh, on the OpenShift blog, which, uh, uh, it's just delightful to me. Um, yeah. so Dave, you know, that, uh, OpenShift has been, uh, been on the receiving end of, uh, some, uh, pointed opinion pieces, let's say, uh, from yes. the uh, cloud foundry partisans in the past. Yes. And, yes. uh, and you go to the OpenShift blog, and most of the content there has been uh, kind of relatively dry, nerdy uh, kind of technical items, right? Um, so you know, right. here's the tool. Here's what's good for it. You know, here's what's good for it. Here's what we're doing in the future. Here's why we're excited about the technical yada yada yada. Um, and so mostly ignoring uh, kind of the and uh, so the, a distinct change in tone for this blog post uh, from a Joe Fernandes, who's uh, kind of the godfather over there um, on the product mm-hmm. team, anyway. Yep, yep. And uh, he actually calls out uh, one particular opinion maker for having uh, for a blog post back in February, uh, where uh, when Cloud Foundry announced that they were going to do a foundation, he predicted that uh, OpenShift was going to close up shop by the end of the year, and uh, go you know, and uh, Red Hat was going to throw in with Cloud Foundry instead. Um, mm. And uh, Dave, as you as as you and I know, uh, OpenShift is far from dead, and in fact, uh, is a source of a great deal of activity uh, in our lives. Um, and so, uh, Joe had this kind of triumphant, uh, kind of, uh, almost snarky, uh, blog post, uh, challenging cloud foundry, uh, to do a number of things, uh, in the coming mm-hmm, year. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, I just, I enjoyed the tone. I enjoy, uh, I enjoy him being a little bit combative. Um, yep. and, uh, and he makes some very sound points, uh, about, uh, the architectural choices that OpenShift has made, um, why OpenShift is kind of on the right side of history um, mm-hmm. as far as, uh, you know, cloud applications and platform as a service goes. Um, anyway, I encourage everybody to go, to go read it. It's uh, um, 100% endorsed uh, from my point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, we, yeah. we need to get him on the uh, on the show next year. We should interview. actually get him on the show. That's a good idea. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. All right. Making a note right here in my Trello. Put that on our uh, New Year resolution list. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's right yeah How about, or 20 um, predictions for 2015 <laughs> so that so, so this got me thinking um you know when communicating about you know talking about a platform as a service that's going to be something interesting to nerds um mm-hmm. and former nerds um but uh, you know going through and red hat used to be you know you used to read the corporate communications from red hat or you know the uh, blog posts about the products and stuff. And it was, uh, there wasn't a lot of jargon. Um, in fact, a lot of people don't know this inside Red Hat. There is a, uh, uh, there's a book, uh, that was done by the brand team. Um, mm-hmm. and it was called the Red Hat story. Uh, and inside it's got a list of things shadow man would never say. Um, yep. and it kind of calls out this list of, uh, kind of m- flimsy, meaningless, words that are frequently used in technical marketing, right? Or by software mm-hmm, companies, mm-hmm. I guess. And, uh, you know, so, you know, maximizing value, you know, st- words like this. Um, anyways, I was reading Joe Fernandez's blog and, and for as much as I loved it, I noticed that, um, especially having actually in January, it'll be my 10 year anniversary at Red Hat and wow. looking back on these 10, yeah. Right. Um, so looking back on these 10 years, I'm thinking about all the, you know, the progress that we've made, right. Um, I mean, since I've been with Red Hat, we've got 
what, 51 consecutive quarters of growth in the company, mm -hmm. which is crazy, mm -hmm. especially given the Great Recession, which is great. Um, but, you know, something has definitely changed moving from, you know, 1,200 people at the company to over now 7,000 people at the company. Um, and we started in this kind of like regular industry vocabulary has started entering the lingo. Um, you can see some of this in Joe's post um, and, you know, and, and, and elsewhere. And I guess some of it makes sense, but it reminded me of this quote from uh, Thomas Watson of IBM uh, from back in, I think, 1972. Do you mind if I read it to you, Dave? No, go for it. Go for it. All right. So this is a, uh, this is a memo from, uh, you know, from the guy who led IBM in the early seventies. He uh, he writes, uh, he writes, uh, a foreign language has been creeping into many of the presentations I hear and the memos I read. It adds nothing to a message but noise, and I want your help in stamping it out. It's called gobbledygook. There's no shortage of examples. Nothing seems to get finished anymore. It gets finalized. Things don't happen at the same time, but coincident with this action. Believe it or not, people will talk about taking a commitment position, and because of the, quote, volatility of schedule changes, they will decommit so that our posture vis-a-vis -vis some database that needs sizing will be able to enhance competitive positions. That is gobbledygook. That's awesome. Anyway, so it, was, it is awesome. And it, and it made me, and it was heartening to me uh, because uh, it made me realize that uh, gobbledygook is something that is, uh, uh, maybe has crept into the Red Hat uh, culture a little bit, uh, but uh, certainly has been around a lot longer than Red Hat has. Um, if they mm -hmm. were writing about this all the way back in the 70s, um, it just seems to be a... Uh, uh, kind of a regular state of our seems to be kind of a permanent state of our of our industry and it's kind of a bummer uh, because it does make things more difficult to read um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know uh, Dave I'm here and now suddenly I'm ranting we're not even into the into the show yet but um, you know you think about it, you know you read uh, marketing material you read a white paper from a competitor or what have you and it frequently takes me more than one read of something to figure out what they are trying to tell me right yes um, and and often this language serves to obscure the points uh, or paper over vulnerabilities in the message uh, rather than, you know, kind of directly and clearly communicate what it is that a particular thing does or, you know, what its benefit is. Um, I don't know, Dave, do you have any, do you have any suggestions for this? I, so anyway, all this is leading up to, this yeah. is a new year's resolution for me. I'm no longer going to use gobbledygook uh, to the extent that I can help it. Um, Dave, do you have any, do you have any tips or any advice on, on how to avoid gobbledygook? Well, I, I think what you got to do is is just look at the most embarrassing details and just amplify them. Mm -hmm. All right, that's interesting. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna th I'm gonna think on that. Right, that I, that sounds like good advice. I'm gonna think on that. Mm -hmm. um, while while I while I consider that while I consider that strange advice, uh, Dave, what's uh what's going on in the show today? Yeah. So let's see. Um, we're gonna talk about uh, your singular uniqueness on the web. Uh, we're going to miniaturize almost everything, and we're going to talk about Dell IT using OpenShift. Speaking of OpenShift, sweet. I think you mean Dell IT utilizing OpenShift. Yes, yes, yes. Yep. To maximize revenue. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, well, great. All right. So, if uh, if folks want to link to uh, to that excellent Thomas Watson uh, report, or if uh, they want to read that uh, blog post from uh, Joe Fernandez, uh, uh, where should they? Uh, what website should they visit, Dave? Uh, they they need to uh, uh, visit dgshow.org. So D's and Dave, G's and Gunner, show.org. Nice, nice. Uh, on the cutting room floor, you found uh, 
everybody knows, I think, uh, how annoying Ayn Rand is to me. Um, and so, Dave, I was delighted to find this uh, this collection of <laughs> Ayn Rand reviewing children's books, yep. <laughs> which was great. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, and also, you you found a you found this uh, kind of library of uh, like uh, I forget what the military calls them, but the the patches that you get when you go on a particular mission or you belong to a particular mm-hmm. group, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you're mm-hmm. like, I guess you're group patches or whatever. Um, anyway, there's all these, uh, patches from the, uh, from the satellite services, um, mm-hmm. which are like many of them completely tone deaf. Uh, mm-hmm. and if you're not kind of like in the culture, like completely terrifying, um, yes. you know, octopuses with tentacles running around the globe, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Pretty great. Pretty great. Yeah. They, they just magnify the most difficult details. Right. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Um, so Dave, it's the holiday season, uh, coming yep. up on new year's and, uh, I'm planning on, uh, I'm planning on not driving. Uh, uh, what, what, uh, uh, because I'm afraid of, uh, getting a Dewey. Right. Um, yeah. so what's the, uh, do you have any tools for me? Do you have any, uh, do you have any advice for me in that department? Well, you want to do the last thing first. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you're saying get arrested first so that I can, so that I don't have to drive while, while right. I've been drinking. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Or there's an app okay. that you can get. Yeah. So, uh, let's see, uh, the police officials and government officials in Maryland, uh, with, uh, $50,000 worth of funding from the national highway Tra- national highway traffic safety administration have come up with an app called, uh, Endui. So E N D U I. And, um, mm-hmm. It's basically an app that you could uh, test your sobriety, and uh, it, so they're like games to see how tipsy you are, and uh, uh, check your reaction time, um, and then you could plug in the number of drinks you had uh, to approximate your blood alcohol content level, um, and um, uh, and if you're over the uh, unsafe level, it'll present you with uh, numbers of uh, cab companies or designated drivers. Oh, it's interesting. That's interesting. It's uh, that sounds like it, huh? It sounds like it might encourage people to kind of level up, right? Is there, is there any worry about that? Or, or even, or even, even worse, like, uh, hey, wait a minute, what do they do with all that data? Yes, 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 and right, right. And and I don't think that it's like, oh, you get pulled over for a DUI, they're going to search your phone to see if you have that app installed and. You know, you plugged in how many drinks drinks you had beforehand. But they, that. But, but they totally could. <laughs> they totally mm-hmm. could. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And or you just do big data analysis on the people that are submitting results to see what, you know, is it, uh, uh, you know, what, what sort of, how much are people drinking and at what times and stuff like that. Man, I don't know if I, that, that sounded pretty cool. And then, especially, I, th- I think in the article they say that, uh, uh, the National Highway Sa- Traffic Safety Administration handed out fifty grand to Maryland uh, to roll this thing out. Right? Um, yep. It seems it seems like it could almost be counterproductive. I don't know if I'm being a, uh, I don't know if I'm being alarmist about this, but um, it would also encourage people to like, oh, I'm totally cool to have a drink as long as I don't go over the as long as this app tells me that it's okay, right? Um, which right. Encourage, encourages the uh, tipsy drinking phenomena, which uh, public safety uh, videos have told me is not a good idea. Yes. Yeah. The what buzzed driving, maybe. I don't know. Buzz driving. Um, yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And then also, you know, I thought about this for, well, here you have to open the app up. You need to plug everything in. 
um, you know, every time you have a drink and all that. But I want, you know, we talked a lot about uh, the Fitbits where, um, you know, they would track your steps and all that. Um, but still for, I guess, the Fitbit app and the other apps, you, you need to enter what food you eat uh, manually, I, I presume. Um, but mm-hmm. I can imagine there could some, you know, come a day sometime where it, they could analyze what you're drinking or um, your, your food and all that through some sort of sensor network. And then automatically pump that in, like almost like an OCR mm-hmm. for, but to figure out what oh you had so many calories, so many whatever, and you know talking back before about the um, unintended consequences of, of Fitbit data and all that, and um, say like insurance rates and things of oh well you know this guy exercises a lot, but but uh, you might have a drinking problem or or things like that. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Well, you know, Dave, if there's a I mean, if there's a lesson here, it's probably that, uh, that every mistake is a hidden intention. Yeah. 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 And th- and the other problem is that people, even if they change nothing, they'll continue with immaculate consistency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I, I've, I've always said so. I've always said mm-hmm. so. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Uh, oh, so I got a piece of, uh, I got a piece of follow up here. So we, we talked to earlier about uh, Microsoft, um, releasing the source code to a dot net. Yeah. Yeah, they're like going uh, well, they, open they, they, source crazy. Yeah. yeah, they are. They got the bug. Uh, yeah. yeah, they've uh, they actually released a thing they call Project Orleans or Orlean yeah. or yeah, Project Orleans, um, which is uh, kind of the uh, the background plumbing uh, behind Halo Four. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, so I don't. Yeah, I don't know what's in the water over there, but uh, suddenly Microsoft. Uh, I guess they finally figured out that uh, open source is a pretty big deal and uh, might have some staying power. <laughs> yeah. Well, why do you, did good, they say why they did it? Um, I'll be honest with you. I only skimmed the uh, the press release, but uh, you know, I suspect it's for the. I suspect it's for PR. You know, Microsoft is fighting alongside everyone else for the same. Uh, open source talent, right? And all the new talent, right? All the young developers, you know, 20 year olds, 21 year olds coming out of college, they're all open source native developers, right? That's kind of how they see the world. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think the impression that Microsoft is a, you know, kind of proprietary only company and that you won't be able to show off your work on GitHub, um, I think that probably makes it more difficult for folks to, to, to consider Microsoft as a potential employer. Um, yep. so I think that that almost certainly has something to do with it. Um, yeah. I don't, maybe, maybe on the outside, they're hoping, you know, they can accidentally stumble into a useful patch. Um, but, uh, but I think a lot of the stuff that they've been open sourcing seems to be kind of platformy stuff. Um, yes. you know, not any real differentiating software, but it's just like I say, like plumbing, right? It's like the core of .NET, not any of the kind of fancy, um, extras on .NET. It's the core of Halo 4. It's not the actual Halo 4, uh, game. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, that makes me think that it's, that this is more, uh, I think this is more kind of a public relations, uh, kind of talent acquisition kind of strategy. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Well, what would your <laughs> advice said be to Microsoft? Having, having never read the press release. Right? <laughs> yeah. But, but what would your advice to Microsoft be if, if with their open source strategy? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I would tell them to first look at the order in which they do things. Yeah. Hmm. I think getting getting the order is important. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You know, it's like if you're doing, um, is do you do the enterprise stuff? Do you do the game stuff? Yeah. What's which order do you do it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's crucial. Yeah. So in the news, I uh, 
Jessica Silby, who has not been on my radar in the past, but has now put herself on my radar, uh, she did this wonderful uh, presentation over at the Bergman Center, um, and it's on their Radio Bergman podcast. We'll include a link to it in the uh, in the show notes. She was looking at the kind of efficacy of the U.S. copyright regime, and mm-hmm. she did something really. She, t- she had a really interesting approach. Usually, people look at um, you know whatever number of copyright registrations uh, or uh, or you know pick some other easy metric. Um, she did the hard work of actually going out and interviewing people whose livelihoods depend on intellectual property. Um, hmm. So people who develop drugs, um, people who write music, writers, artists, that kind of thing. And so mm-hmm. it's almost uh, this anthropological approach to the question. And yeah. uh, what, she, what, she, what she was trying to tease out is like, how does the U.S., how does U.S. copyright law, how does U.S. patent law, how does it help them? How does it hurt them? How much do they care about it? How much does it actually factor into the work that they do? Um, and some of the stuff was obvious, but some of the stuff was really surprising. Um, anyway, she's promoting this book called the Eureka myth, uh, creators, innovators, and everyday intellectual property. Um, anyway, Mm -hmm. I thought it was really, I I thought it was important work. I thought the approach was really interesting and the conclusions were, uh, were surprising to me. Um, so I can strongly recommend, um, it's a time well spent to, I hear her talk at the uh, Berkman center. It was great. Hmm. Nice. Nice. One of the big takeaways from the talk was, um, her advice to, uh, you know, make a sudden, destructive, unpredictable action mm-hmm. and then incorporate. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you, you got to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of destruction, um, mm-hmm. Chromium, they're, they, they are, uh, um, the headline is misleading, I think, uh, of the article that I saw, but the, the Chromium project um, they are floating the idea to actively start marking web pages that are not HTTPS or TLS encrypted as uh, not being secure. I love this. I love this idea. Yeah. So it's instead great. of just having, like right now with your web browser, you go to an HTTP URL, it has like a globe next to it or something. It's like, oh, that means internet. Um, but if you're at a secure site, it turns into a lock and you want to look for the lock. Um, and now it's they're floating the idea of, of having you know what would that icon be of of uh, you know of of a non secure uh, connection. It's it's like to me it's like uh, H-A- uh, unencrypted uh, HTTP traffic is like using Telnet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. I I would suggest uh, I would suggest using a uh, using a logo with uh, an American eagle uh, with. Uh, in its talons would be a uh, microphone uh, mm-hmm. and a set of uh, Beats headphones nice. in the other talon. Yes. That would be my, yep. that'd be yep. my suggestion. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it just goes to show, Dave, I mean, you, you really, when you do something like this, you want to, uh, when you're designing for uh, users, especially when you're trying to indicate, you know, security postures, you really want to kind of disconnect from desire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, but what about, the um like what what's going to happen to like the, the if it's too scary are people going to be like like the the more pedestrian user they, you know it's like oh somebody hacked my computer or it's unsecure or whatever it's is is like you don't you want to make them aware but not frighten them that it's like oh my connection's hacked or something 
I don't know. Would it be so bad if they were frightened? Um, so, I mean, if I, I guess it's it's a matter of like if you put a universal symbol for danger, right? Like a yellow triangle or a red triangle with an exclamation point in the middle, right? That might be too much. Um, mm-hmm. But on the other hand, you know, users have been pretty acculturated to ignoring the SSL warnings, right? So when I yeah. get a lock with a yellow dingus on it, um, mm-hmm. I mean, pretty people are pretty successfully ignoring that, right? Um, so I wonder mm-hmm. if this is, I wonder if the cat's out of the bag, if it's just too late to train people to worry about this because they've already learned to mostly ignore that stuff. Um, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. also think about like the, from a mobile experience, when you use a mobile web browser on your tablet or on your mm-hmm. phone, mm-hmm. Um, you typically don't see the URL bar whenever you're clicking on links and everything. It just, you just click on it and you go it, and you, from a user interface mm-hmm. standpoint, you can't even hover over a link to see whether it's encrypted or not. Yeah, yeah, that's right. No, the and the yeah, the mobile browsers are challenging uh, for mature. Well, and also I was thinking it would be cool to have a similar kind of system, indication system for mobile applications, right? I don't know why browsers are the only tools that get these flags. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe it's because they're like a general purpose tool, but um, it sure would be nice to know uh, to have some kind of maybe like a heads up display, like letting letting me know exactly what an application is privileged to do. Um, mm-hmm. or, you know, what they, or when an application is invoking a particular privilege, that would be handy. Yes. Right. In the same way yes. that I kind of pay attention to like when a browser is loading, uh, when, you know, when a browser is loading information, you know, that's kind of useful feedback to know like, oh, it's thinking really hard or, oh, it's hung on this particular thing. In the same way, I would love to have some kind of indicator of, you know, oh, this app is now using the network. This app is now accessing the contact information. Um, or GPS. Know, maybe, it's, yeah. maybe it's just because mm-hmm. I'm, Pyramid, GPS, yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. I think that yeah. would be, that would be handy. But um, then again, it's like we're yeah. probably not. I think you and I would appreciate that, but we're probably not the the bulk of users <laughs> that would. They would be like turning it off yeah. or making that. You know, maybe you know that wouldn't yeah. be the default. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, why is that thing blinking? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, probably, probably, probably the, uh, uh, this the almost the epitome of this kind of security sensitive user would be uh, would be Dave Wheeler, right? Yeah. Yeah. Can we yeah, we've heard that? from him lately, right? Yeah, so so Dave uh Dave wrote me earlier today and uh uh, he had heard the previous episode um, and us talking about, you know, the security of uh, the Twitter application, right? Which we now mm-hmm. learn is, unless you tell it not to, is going to monitor which applications you're running on your uh, on your phone. And uh, Dave had a suggestion, which, uh, which I, I think is worth airing out. He says, um, instead of using the application for a particular tool, uh, go ahead and use the web browser for mm-hmm. the t- for the tool. So uh, Twitter, right? So don't install the Twitter app. Just go ahead and use, go to m.twitter.com and use the Twitter mobile interface, um, mm-hmm. which is often sufficient um, and uh, and doesn't leave you as open to, uh, you know, for instance, like, you know, monitoring applications um, uh, as you might be. I don't know. Dave, what do you think? Is that a, is that a good alternative? I think it would be, I, I think that it would it would help you in some ways, but but it it's not a perfect solution. So, for instance, it's still gonna. You're a lot of times like I don't know if people have noticed that with your browser, your browser can even give out GPS information if it you know. And a lot of times, I don't know if you've been to websites where it's like, oh hey, this website wants to um, know your GPS location. Uh, would you like to share it? And it's nice that they ask. Um, and so, like if it's a 
uh, a chain store or something, you know, they could they could tell you what the the closest stores are nearby and all that. Um, so I, I think you're gonna have leakage there. You're gonna have leakage with things like third party cookies unless you're disabling them. Um, and then the other part is like, uh, what about like from a security standpoint? We we've talked about even just the the scary security of of phones in general, but uh, with you know people being able to add like third party keyboards. So you know if you have a third party keyboard. Um, hopefully, well, you have to trust it, right? Because you're, that's the the mm-hmm. keyboard that you're using to type in passwords, and hopefully, it's not uh, you know key logging and sending it somewhere else. But as I, I think, I mean, all that's true. But those are also vulnerabilities that exist in the apps as well, right? So I think, mm-hmm. I mean, Dave's point, which is which is I think sound, is that moving to the browser doesn't eliminate the security threats, but it kind of reduces your attack surface. Yeah. So to oh, it totally does. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, but on the other hand, it depends on the browser you're using, right? So if you're using the Chrome browser by default on Android, um, or even Safari for that matter, for you know on the iOS devices, you still have the danger of Apple and Google being able to collect all of your behavior information instead of Twitter or instead of Facebook mm-hmm. or what have you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. So Dave said use Firefox instead. Um, which if, if folks haven't tried out the Firefox, uh, for mobile, um, it is actually pretty good. It's a pretty good browser. Yeah. yeah that's um, what I use like actually. I, yeah. yeah. I've been using it for years. Um, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. It, it, so it, it syncs up with... your bookmarks and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it does, uh, add block plus. Um, and it, yeah, I like it a lot. Yep. Yep. Um, but the, the other thing too, is it from uh, a tracking standpoint, um, you can even be tracked by your web browser, um, and and I think we probably talked about this in the past. But um, there's a, a site that just popped up in the news. I don't know if this is different or or the same sort of site, but the the website that was in the news re- recently is uh, amiunique.org, um, where it'll do a mm-hmm. finger. It'll do like take your fingerprint of of your connection and then uh, see how unique you are, and. Uh, I ran it uh, on on my end, and it said uh, that yes, I am unique. So I guess I'm like a snowflake, um, and and you can because the browser <laughs> is going to report all the information that you have, um, that that you're like what OS are you using, what um, version of browser, mm-hmm. what type of browser are you using, um, and and uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know what time zone are you set to, what language are you using. And and it goes through and it mm-hmm. and and it said that um, at the time that I ran it, I guess eighteen thousand other people ran it, and they said that I have the only browser out of uh, the eighteen thousand with that exact same fingerprint. Yeah, I was mine was even worse. I was one out of forty six thousand something um, with yeah. uh, with that fingerprint. Um, and you know what? Uh, and I looked at the uh, so for you know earlier we talked about uh, the scorecard. Right, um, and how mm-hmm. useful Scorecard was as a visualization tool because it told you what to think about. Um, mm-hmm. This is a great example of that, right? So you would think that, like, okay, your your browser choice that's going to make you unique, and your version of browser you're running, your operating system, the version of the operating system, um, what languages are your default, what time zone you're in, like you said. Uh, but then there's also stuff like uh, the canvas attack that we talked mm-hmm. about in a previous episode, right? Um, yep. So drawing, you know, an invisible picture on it and uh, based on the metrics that are kind of thrown off of that, you can uniquely identify somebody. The WebGL behavior also is a unique identifier. And so this thing actually kind of catalogs all of that stuff that makes you unique. And what I found is that um, 
what really sunk me was my WebGL behavior. My canvas mm -hmm. was unique. Um, and also my choice of fonts was unique. Isn't that, mm. isn't that crazy? So um, the catalog of fonts that are available to the browser uh, was unique. Uh. In, uh, you know, one out of every 46,000, which is, oh, well, that, that would never have occurred to me. Um, but, mm. you know, just remember, if you install that one goofy Arabic font like I did, um, I am the only person, you know, in their whole catalog who had that particular combination of fonts. Well, yeah, or you're the only person in central time zone that's running mm -hmm. Chrome that, you know, and, and you go down right. the line and it just, uh, you just uh, throw out all the all the things that, uh, that yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So, the, so I, you know, the, my lesson learned, you know, having visited this amiunique.org is, um, is that, you know, when, uh, when I'm browsing, I always want to feed the recording back out of the medium. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. That's, you got to do that every single time. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, so let's see. Oh, yeah. Also in surveillance news, um, I'm surprised that this didn't set people on fire, like people running, screaming in the streets. Uh, so Dave, um, remember Google acquired Nest a while back, the, the yeah. little robot thermostat mm -hmm. maker. So Google acquired Nest and, uh, the first improvement they've made to the Nest platform is, uh, to include, uh, well, actually I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you guess Dave, which, which, which tool would they, would they integrate with that first? Do you think? Google plus almost as bad. Uh, they integrated <laughs> Google now. Yeah. Yeah. So Google now, this is the feature on the Android phones. Uh, this is like Siri, right on, mm -hmm. uh, but for, but for the Android phones. Um, so now every nest, uh, will have a microphone in it and it will sit there in your living room, listening to everything that you say. And then when you say the words, okay, Google, it'll wake up and give you instructions. So you can say, okay, Google, what's the weather tomorrow? Okay, Google, when's my next appointment? Okay, Google, call Dave to blah, 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 blah. Um, th I, this completely freaked me out. This was like, this is, uh, this is, I mean, it was absolutely crazy. And then I had a second thought, Dave, which was, mm -hmm. wait a minute, I already have something that is vulnerable that is attacking me in this way, and it is in my pocket right now. Hmm. Yep. Right? Yep. My phone already does this. My tablet already does this. Uh, my computer, as a matter of fact, already does this. Um, and so help me think through this, David. Like, why, why is having this in the Nest freak me out so much where um, having my phone do this, it does not freak me out? Yeah. I wonder if it's like the boiling frog sort of thing where, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's like mm -hmm. the, um, you put the, the, the frog in a pot of water and then you slowly turn the heat up and it doesn't know that it's like being cooked. And, and like over time, you got mm -hmm. desensitized to it. Whereas now it's like, oh my gosh, there's a microphone in my thermostat. And it's like, oh, that's, that's terrible. Right, right. I mean, there's a, there's a whole movie from uh, Gene Hackman about trying to get rid of these things. Um, yeah. And, uh, and a whole book from Orwell about uh, how this could be put to uh, good use by the state. Um, yeah. <laughs> yep. I mean, I guess, you know, part of it too is that it's like in a part of the house um, which makes it feel less like a choice. Do you know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. it, it's it's because it be because it's a thermostat and because it's on the wall and kind of literally screwed into the wall. It becomes part of the infrastructure um, mm -hmm. in a way that you know a phone feels a little bit more transient to me. I know this doesn't make logical sense, but kind of emotionally it makes sense. Where a phone is something that's kind of ephemeral, right? Um, it's in my life for maybe two years and then I go get a new phone. Um, yes. 
and I, and I feel, and I, and I'm holding it kind of by choice. Whereas this nest is kind of affixed in one position. And if I'm going to be in the room, I'm, uh, there's the presumption that I am going to be listened to. And so I think that makes it emotionally different as well. Right. Um, right. And then right. never mind like the Orwell 1984 stuff, right? All you need to do is make this nest 55 inches in diagonal. And um, I mean, it is like, it's, it's literally the telescreen from 1984, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And well, and also it's something that is not movable too, where it's like you can leave your phone in the other side of the house and you know nobody's going to be listening to you, at least with your phone. Right. So you could be in the garage and right. um, and have your phone in the house and you could say whatever you want and, and you're you know, you know, nobody's going to listen to you. But, um, you know, who, who knows the way the nest is designed? Could the government send a letter to Google saying that, oh, open up the microphone on this guy's nest uh, thermostat? I want to hear what they're talking about. Yeah. And we've, we've seen that in uh, uh, 2001, too, where, where Hal was like reading lips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. I mean, you know, so for now, I guess we just move toward the insignificant. Yep. Yeah. That's what you got to do. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of, uh, of okay. know, getting more and more insignificant. Um, uh, <laughs> I was going to say, let's, let's move towards uh, miniaturization put to, uh, put to good consumer use rather than uh, good yeah. company use. Yeah. yeah. So there's there's a thing called uh, USB Armory that's that's out. And there's... Uh, badass. Uh, that sounds great. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's this like USB stick that is running a full blown copy of of Linux on it. It's about the size of your thumb. So that sounds great, and I love that that's possible. I'm trying to imagine why I would need it, or what I would do with it. Yes. Yeah. So they they threw out some application ideas of of uh, uh, you know it could be like a password manager where you could plug it in and then you could uh, like SSH into it and and to be able to pull stuff out as opposed to it being like a flat file that uh, the USB drive could get a hold of um, being able to mm-hmm. use it for security testing I guess uh, or penetration testing um, an authentication token mm-hmm. so um, you know being able to uh, run a web server on it and and have it generate one-time passwords for you um, or an electronic wallet um, to hold Bitcoin uh, stuff, um, but yeah, right, yeah, yeah. So I can it, uh, I can also think of uh, packet sniffing, and mm-hmm. uh, let's see what else would I do with that? Um, yeah, uh, yeah. Actually, packet packet capture um, seems like a seems like a pretty handy use for this as well, right? Um, walk into a hotel, uh, plug this bad boy into uh, one of those uh, one of those PCs in the lobby, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, boot it up and uh, just uh, listen to the Wi-Fi for a little bit. See what, see what you mm-hmm. can find. Yep. 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 So you can get a hold of one. Uh, they're, they're doing uh, a run. And if, and if it's uh, fully funded, it's only 130 bucks and, and you can get one. It's a 800 megahertz ARM processor with 512 megs of RAM. So that's, it sounds like the approximate uh, horsepower of like a Raspberry Pi. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and the other yeah, cool thing about it is it it's yeah it's well it's open source hardware too so that they're posting the schematics up there so anybody could just take that hardware design and build their own and sell them just very much like uh, Arduino yeah and uh, speaking of of uh, Arduino there's another thing called uh, USB drive by <laughs> this sounds promising yeah yeah so um, there's a um, 
it's it's an interesting application. It's not totally revolutionary. It's it's something that anybody could do. Um, like like Lauren and I could do this over you know Christmas break or something. Um, but you get uh, what they did was they got an Arduino Teensy, which is about the size of your thumb, costs about twenty bucks. Um, and what's cool about that is it um, it can emulate a, a, a USB keyboard. So it has like a, a USB port on it, and I could plug it into a USB keyboard, and then it could start doing like like keyboard playback and and do keyboard strokes. And and what they did was it oh yeah so they 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 wrote a program in the Arduino uh, language to uh, basically enter a bunch of specific keystrokes uh, to uh, modify the network settings on a Mac. And so um, so you take the Arduino, you uh, USB, um, you you know, and they basically they even have a chain uh, like a metal chain, so you could wear it like a necklace if you want. And then you plug it into a USB drive of a Mac. Um, it will be recognized by the Mac as a keyboard, and and you know the the power comes off of the USB port, so it's powered off the USB port. The Arduino boots up, and then it just starts. It does a keyboard connection, and it starts uh, pecking in keystrokes into the Mac, uh, saying that hey, let's go to the network settings, let's change the the DNS settings, and um, they they go and do that. I was surprised that they were able to do that. Like a Mac lets you modify the network settings without, uh, like a root password, but I guess they they figured out a way to do that. Yeah, yeah. The, the, so for the Mac, they let you uh, they let you alter the network settings without uh, type. Uh, yeah, yeah. Without typing in your your administration password. Although you have the option of locking that down, so you yeah. can you can make that not an option. But um, man, this is like a keeping like a fuzzing attack in your pocket, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Or, or as a necklace, That's pretty yeah, great. makes a great Christmas present. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like twenty bucks, and you program this thing. It's you don't have to solder anything. It's it's just it's done. It's it's really easy to do. All right. So what else? Uh, what else you got in the? Uh, what else you got in the toolbox there? Yeah. So the other thing I saw, I don't know what I would use it for, but I, it, but it looks really cool. Is that there's a um, uh, a, an add-on board that you can get for Arduino and Raspberry Pi. Uh, either way, um, it uses uh, the SPI interface uh, to do long range, long range infrared uh, imaging, um, and so so it's pretty cool. Where it's like it, it almost looks like uh, you know the Predator, where it does the uh, looks at heat signatures of people, and and it'll pick out. Um, you could write the the programs on the Arduino or Raspberry Pi to to automatically draw the. Um, like the hottest temperature uh, or the coldest temperature. And it, it was really neat where it's like they had the guy doing the, the demonstration in the video, um, you know, he was temperature-wise the, the warmest thing in the room um, compared to the ambient temperature of everything around him. So he was all like colorized and everything else behind him was like black and white or grayscale. And then he holds up a hot cup of coffee mm-hmm. and all of a sudden he goes out of the, he goes black and white and the coffee cup, is all colorized like during that color ramp so it was really cool um but it's it's pretty pricey it's and and the resolution isn't super high it's like uh 80 by 60 uh pixels um and it's 350 bucks but um pretty neat to be able to do uh that sort of imaging yeah yeah no that uh, that is cool um yeah even if the resolution makes it kind of limiting i mean 80 by 60 means like it's a little bit like infrared rendered in lego 
Yeah, but, uh, totally. But yeah, still totally. But but for something <laughs> like um, I don't know, a security camera, or you wanted to, you know, like a open the door for your your pet or something. Um, you know, it's like you don't you don't need to do like facial recognition for it. You you're just doing like each pixel is a, a temperature value, and so. Um, it, you don't necessarily have to have HD resolution for it, it depending upon the application. So um, it's pretty neat. Yeah. So what what do you use for navigation uh, when you're like uh, you're running around traveling and whatnot? Mm-hmm. Google Maps. I mean, yeah. Google Maps works. Uh, I've never had a problem with it. I know some people seem to have a lot of problems with it, but I huh. it it seems really good with me. And now that and now we've started getting. Ways data is actually yep. being presented inside Google Maps, which is great. Yes, um, and so that, that that's that's helped a lot. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it, and it's I, and I've still been using Ways. Um, you know, we've talked about it a long time ago. I'm I'm a big fan of of using Ways because what it'll do is that if there's like a traffic jam on the highway, it can um, realize that oh well, hey, we could take you on some side streets and uh, uh, navigate you around that. And uh, there was an article that came out that I saw that um, it's actually for people in Los Angeles It's that, that live on those side streets. It's creating a huge problem for them. So now instead of having um, you know a house by the highway and a little neighborhood and all that, now, now you have a house by a highway in the little neighborhood with a traffic jam right outside your street where it's like narrow streets. You can't walk your dog. Um, it, it's, it's pretty bad. So it's, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, that is a... It's, a, it's amazing that the uh, traffic patterns are so finely tuned, right? Yeah. Um, that that would be, yeah. Yeah. Huh. And and people are trying, the article said that people are trying to like fight back. So they would be like putting like fake traffic accidents and, and stuff in the, in there to make sure people don't <laughs> like route through their street. Um, but I can imagine that right. if I was ways, um, the ways people, I would be like, you could tell who the people that are plugging in false information um, and just you could downrate what the, the their reports and, and uh, make them give them less credibility than somebody that um, that that gives uh, truthful information. That's really impressive. I mean, you could almost do a denial of service attack on a particular neighborhood um, by, uh, you know, by creating a bunch of traffic jams and and, you know, uh, broadcasting, you know, terrible traffic conditions, even if the traffic conditions are, are totally fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. But, the, but, the, That's but I think that. that it's really, you could defeat it like ways could defeat it easily though, because if all of a sudden somebody that is using ways just blast down the street at 40 miles an hour, it's going to wipe out the, all the records of a major traffic jam and just negate that. Cause it's, you know, it's reporting that back too. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And then, right, right, right. and then, in retaliation, yeah, the person that filed the the traffic jam, I would I would put them in the penalty box as far as like giving them less credence for their traffic reports. Right. Uh, unreliable narrator. Right. Yeah. 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 But uh, but you know, and it's and the other thing that the article talked about was it. Oh, it's it's all Waze's problem and it's terrible and and you know that that's the enemy but you know the really that the gist was the the problem is that the traffic in la is is and the road design is is the really problem the, the the actual problem um and, and you know it's not you know don't blame right. the app blame the blame the uh the way the streets are laid out and and traffic congestion yeah yeah exactly i mean you you gotta yeah i mean you gotta find 
a safe part and then use it as an anchor, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you got to know what the what is the reality of the situation too. But I know in London, uh, they I believe that they do tolls by zone. So like, if you wanted to like be in your own zone in London that you live in, you could drive around in your zone with like an easy pass sort of thing. And then you cross every time you cross a zone boundary, you pay a toll. And they use that to um, mm-hmm. maintain traffic. And I don't know if that works or not. I, I'd be curious to, um, I wonder if that's a way to fix it. And, yeah. My understanding is that it has worked um, and has, you know, and has reduced congestion. Um, although there's, it is regressive, you know, from a, from a social point of view, because it means that wealthy people um, have better access to the city. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because if I'm poor, I'm not going to burn, you know, my hard earned money on, you know, a more direct route. I'm, um, it's, in other words, it forces poor people to trade money for time. Yes. Right. Um, and then also it apparently plays havoc with the cab drivers. Um, because mm. now they're very much like in, in, uh, I don't know if this has since been fixed or if this was just a hypothetical problem, but, um, Dave, you remember when DC had the zone system for the cabs? Yes. Um, and the cab drivers, you know, if they move from one zone to another, then it triggered a, you know, it triggered an extra charge. And so they would kind of deliberately go out of their way to cross the boundary a couple of times in order to kind of rack up the charges. Uh, um, I think there was a, there was a similar kind of like rate hacking uh, kind of thing, uh, no pun intended, um, for the, uh, uh, for the, for the London cab drivers. But, uh, but I think by and large, it, it's, I mean, the, all that regressive stuff you know, off to one side. Um, I think it is actually, uh, doing a, doing a good job at controlling traffic, uh, in the city. At least that's what I understand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what's going on, uh, what's going on at work, Dave? Yeah. So we had, we had some, we had some news, didn't we? Yeah. So, uh, Dell IT, they, they're, they've come around now. They're using uh rel open stack platform, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah, they, 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 they tried the rest and, uh, ended up with the best. So, uh, Dell IT had, uh, Initially had some false starts with uh, some of our competitors, and uh, they've uh, since landed on Red Hat OpenStack uh, as a way to deliver uh, infrastructure as a service inside Dell. Uh, so they're uh, they're eating the dog food, um, mm. and we're actually we got a pretty nice partnership uh, shaping up with Dell, uh, about which I'm sure we'll hear a lot more later. Um, uh, that uh, Dell and Red Hat have have kind of joined forces, and now we're selling kind of prepackaged. Um, systems for you know running OpenStack. Yes. Um, so uh, so that'll be nice. That'll yeah. be nice. Yeah. Totally. Totally. And then our friends at Spayware are mm-hmm. doing some good stuff with OpenShift too, right? Yeah. Yeah. So there's a, there's an integrator out there, PVM. Um, mm-hmm. We got a whole write up on this um, up on the in the show notes. Uh, but uh, they're using uh, they adopted OpenShift. Uh, so now the Navy uh, using OpenShift, and apparently their their development cycle is now four or five times faster. Um, hmm. than it was before uh, because they're using OpenShift to deliver the developer environments. Yeah, um, wow. Anyway, great story. Um, so now OpenShift being used by the Navy, uh, FICO, uh, CA Technologies, um, who else? Cisco, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Cisco internally, Boeing. Um, yeah, we got some great customers for uh, for OpenShift now. It's uh, it's amazing how far we've come in uh, you know just a you know just a year and a half, a year yep. or so. Um, yep. So I'm super excited about OpenShift as you as you know, Dave. As you know. Yeah. Yep. Oh, are you going to go see the uh, interview uh, movie this weekend? <laughs> no, no. I had no interest in that movie before. Nobody and, is. Uh, and now it's impossible. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> geez, what a, what a ridiculous thing. So it, so it, um, 
so Dave, I'm a fan of this author. Uh, this guy, he's at, uh, I think he's at Brookings. Oh no, he's at New America, uh, New America Foundation. He's a uh, Pete Singer. Um, he's a, uh, mm-hmm. uh, he kind of, uh, he looks at kind of the defense and cybersecurity space. Um, he wrote this great book called Wired for War um, about drone warfare, um, which if you're at all interested in the topic, you should definitely mm. um, check it out. Anyway, he, he had this interview about that North Korea debacle, um, which was, uh, captured my sentiment about it perfectly. Um, he's just damning about it. You know, it's, it talks about Sony wildly overreacting. Um, <laughs> he says something to the effect of like, we've, we've moved to maximum stupid um, on our reaction to it, <laughs> um, which I think is about right. Um, this yeah. whole thing is, uh, we're really shooting ourselves uh, in the foot there. Um, uh, anyway, yep. that was a, a, just a, so I, I can recommend his, uh, his interview. It's definitely worth reading. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, your uh the movie theater in your neighborhood was um they they tried to come up with some alternate plans right which got shot down oh yeah yeah, so good so alamo draft house uh which is awesome for a bunch of reasons um i think we might have even talked about them on the show in the past they have a they have this wonderful psa yeah Mm -hmm. they talked about this psa um before the beginning of the movie um where they replay a voicemail from an irate customer who was thrown out because she was texting during a movie um anyway it's very funny maybe we'll we'll link to that in the show notes but alamo draft house is fun and they have like a good sense of humor um and uh so they had so this interview thing was canceled um, and so instead they were going to play, uh, team America world police. Um, but then that was shut down, uh, because Paramount apparently, uh, didn't give them the rights to, uh, uh, didn't give them the rights to show it, which is just ridiculous. Um, and when we're talking about a movie like the interview, it's easy to ignore. And then when we're talking about a movie like team America, it's easy to ignore because they're funny and they're satire and they're light and they don't mean anything. Um, but what's chilling for me is what happens when, uh, it becomes a documentary and, uh, any fool with an email address, uh, can now send a threat to Sony Pictures and prevent a movie from being shown. I just think is um, like like pizzas, like maximum stupid. Um, and uh, and I was very happy to see yeah. uh, that uh, as we record today, I was very happy to see that the president got up in a press conference today and called Sony out uh, for being stupid. Um, uh, and he had some very nice things to say about free expression and about not being intimidated uh, by. Uh, you know, by this cybersecurity stuff, I think you put the word cyber in there, and people get uh, people get crazy, Dave. They get uh, they get stupid. So I think that's what happened here. It's a disciplined self indulgence is uh, what's required. Yeah, yeah, and then they're trying to humanize something that's free of error. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I guess Team America: World Police. If if you can't see it at the Alamo. Draft House. Um, it is on Netflix on the streaming, so you could you could bring that up immediately uh, with hopefully without retaliation or a cyber attack, <laughs> a denial of service attack. <laughs> that's right. Show Kim Jong Un what for, and uh, go watch uh, go watch Team America this weekend. Yeah, that's right. Bring the whole family. <laughs> it's a family movie. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. After seeing uh, after reading Pete's interview and uh, seeing the president speak today, I'm going to take away the elements in order of apparent non importance. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I agree, and I, I also think that their their mistake was uh, hidden intention. Mm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe they should use something mm-hmm. nearby as a model. Yeah, yeah. That they should do that too. Yep. Mm-hmm. Or at least, uh, um, oh, we already did that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so, Dave, why don't you why don't you tell folks about these uh, non sequiturs? <laughs> yes.
Yeah. So, so if you're, if, if you're still listening, um, <laughs> so there's, there's a thing that I, I came across, uh, uh, earlier this week called oblique strategies, um, which, um, it was, it was done back in the seventies, um, where, uh, there, there were two guys, uh, Brian Eno and Peter Schmidt. Um, they, they, um, uh, were, they, they come up with them to help artists, uh, break creative blocks and and uh, by creating lateral thinking. So they basically come up with they they have this like box of cards with all these phrases on um, that that you throw out and and just to uh, like inspire somebody or mm-hmm. or make them think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Brian, you know, yep. famous uh, mostly as the the guy who designed the Windows ninety five startup sound, right? I guess. Oh, did you not know that? Yeah, that was that was composed by Brian Eno. No, I didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So, Dave, what what are what are your what are some of your favorite what are, what are some of your favorites? What I like is the ones that are just like the opposites of each other. So you you have to be careful to not use the same two in the same conversation. <laughs> um, like for instance, one of them is uh, remove ambiguities and convert to specifics, and then the other one is remove specifics and convert to ambiguities. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I liked uh, my favorite. I think is. Uh, repetition is a form of change they're like uh they're like zen kwans right uh they're just kind of these you know rorsash blots uh that you can go apply to so i should i will be using them liberally in meetings in the coming year yeah well i just i was just like reading these and i'm like this is something don draper would say while he's pitching something <laughs> right you know it's it's like he's he's like trying to sell heinz on on you know the baked bean ad or whatever and uh you know, repetition is a form of change, and and people would be like, "Wow, that, that's deep." I want to give them a lot of money. So, yeah. right, right. Well, that's great. Yeah. So, Dave, do you have any uh, do you have any New Year's resolutions? I'm just going to go into the impossible. Hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna. I I resolve to yeah. only make one dot at a time. Yeah. Use an impossible. Uh, use an unacceptable color. Hmm. Aside. Well, so I'm maybe not going to build a wall, but make a brick. Mm-hmm. That's that's the way you got to do it. Mm-hmm. I hear <laughs> <Yeah>. you. <laughs> so fu- so and, on wanna, and on that note, <laughs> if, if, if folks want to, uh, if folks want links to all the oblique strategies, um, if they want to read the Pete Singer piece, uh, if they want to buy or order some of the great gear we talked about today, uh, Dave, where do they go? Yeah, they definitely want to go to uh, dgshow.org. So D's and Dave, G's and uh, gunnershow.org uh, if they've listened this long and they have a, an intense desire to see all these uh, oblique strategies and, and apply them uh, the, your, uh, themselves. <laughs> That's great. Uh, happy New Year, Dave. Yeah, yeah. Happy New Year and Happy New Year to everybody that's listening. Yeah, thanks everyone. Yep, bye.